0: Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, August the 20th, 2019. And this is episode 2494 of the Survival Podcast. And today is the Just Jack show on a Tuesday. And today we have 10 low-carb meals and how to make them. We're going to talk a little bit about low-carb dieting, specifically from the stance of the Protein Power Plan by uh, Dr. Eads. Actually, the doctor's Eads. uh, Mary Dan Eads and Michael Eads are two doctors that are married. I've been practicing medicine and using the methodology of low-carb eating for a very, very long time, uh, over three decades now. And again, these are MDs, and my perspective today comes mainly from them. However, this will work, uh, these meals anyway, will work really well from the standpoint of keto, any low-carb, paleo, primal, any kind of eating like that. But I want to say something leading in, and I'll probably close and bookend it with some thoughts that are deeper on this. This is a survival topic. Now, we've talked about cooking as a life skill, and we're going to talk about cooking and critical thinking and building systems for yourself today all in one. And, and that is, to me, a modern survival skill. But the, the topic of proper diet and understanding that weight loss and optimum health have really been shown if we actually look at results to to come more from a low-carb intake than anything else. In fact, many uh, diets that work and are considered more mainstream, when you look at them, they may not be as significantly restrictive on carbohydrates as what we're going to talk about today, but they're always restrictive on carbohydrate. Almost always, anyway. And I personally believe it is the way the human body was optimized to work because of what we naturally ate uh, for much of, of our existence as human beings before the dawn of what we consider modern agriculture. So I'm coming from that standpoint today. I think you'll enjoy this show. I'll tell you what, if you're a person that says, I don't give a damn about low-carb eating, every meal I'm going to make today you'd be happy to eat. And if you want to add some carbs to it, go ahead. That's your choice. I don't tell people how to live. I tell you what I think is best. But I do think this is a survival topic, and it comes down to... Some of the biggest killers in our society today. The uh, number one cause of death in America is heart disease. Number two is stroke. Number seven is diabetes. And it's generally type two in this day and age. Number nine is kidney disease, often linked to obesity. So, the way people are eating with no mindfulness whatsoever on what they're eating is killing people. First rule of survival wake up tomorrow alive. All right? You don't wake up tomorrow alive. You failed. You had not survived. So this is a survival topic, and we're going to dig deep into it today. And I'm going to confess some things today. You'll have to wait to see exactly what they are. I'm going to be very honest with you guys today about why this often fails. And when I started to actually look at the numbers, I was amazed that I ever got any results in the first place. There are so many things that people assume when they go into this way of eating that are just not true. And when you start looking at carbohydrate restrictions of 7 to 10 grams per meal, which I think if you're, if you're significantly overweight, where you need to start, that doesn't mean you have to stay there for the rest of your life at all. In fact, where you'll get to, you, you, you'll be like, wow, I can have almost unlimited carbs as long as I'm, eating, as long as I'm not eating big piles of donuts and potatoes and rice. You, you're like, wow. I, and if you come from the standpoint, I think it's going to be a lot like if you downsize into a tiny house, and then you move into an 850-square-foot, two-bedroom bungalow, you feel like you're in a freaking mansion. But if you never go to the tiny house, and you go from the 2,500-square-foot American McMansion into the 800-square-foot, two-bedroom bungalow, you feel like you're living in a prison cell. So that's where I'm coming from today. We'll talk about it, and it'll all make sense. And I'm going to tell you that you're going to hear some things today that if you've been down this path before, and you've had results that were good but not great, or results that were good but not sustained, I'm going to change all of that for you today. Before we do, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is Safe Castle Royal. Safe Castle Royal is the original survival podcast sponsor as in the first. They came to us before I was even willing to accept a sponsor because I didn't have enough people listening that I was comfortable taking anybody's money to advertise. That's how long they've been around. They have everything for your prepping needs. You'll find it all at safecastle.com. Next up today, Jeff, the Berkey guy, Gleason, at directive21.com. Water is incredibly important. Without water, we die. But there is tons of crap in our water that we drink every day out of our sink. If we're on city grid, that we probably shouldn't be drinking. And then whether you're on a well, have some other source of water, or are on grid water. If something does infect your water... You don't want to find out about it by getting sick. And how often do you test your water? And you know when they issue boil water advisories? Yeah, that's somebody got sick, and then they figured out, hey, it's the water. By then you've been drinking it. Everything I drink as far as our water goes through a Berkey. You should too. Great pricing, really looks great, can't break, no moving parts, You can get a Berkey from a lot of places, but why would you go anywhere else than the guy that supported us forever, who is a customer service maniac, that has some of the best pricing you will find on Berkey and Berkey Parts, Jeff the Berkey guy, Gleason, again website Directive21.com. With that, let's dig into this today. I want to start out with, let's even define low carb when it comes to diet, and let's define diet in two different ways. And if we don't start there, everything really falls apart. So there's a lot of definitions for diet. It's one of the craziest words in the world, if you actually look it up in the dictionary, how many versions of the definition there are. But your two primary ones that a lot of the other ones even break down to is a diet that we think of when we hear, I'm dieting in America, which is a verb. In other words, I am restricting what I am eating. I am setting up some agenda by which I filter things through to determine how much food I get or what type of food I get or anything like that. And then your diet, which is just the, the, the standard food you eat every day. And when we look at any diet as in diet in the verb, something is restricted. Maybe that's caloric restriction. That's the typical diet in America. Yeah, you can limit your fat. And then get most of your calories from carbohydrates. But overall, you know, if you burn by you, you run some formula and figure out you burn 1,600 calories a day. If you eat 1,400 calories a day, you will slowly lose weight over time. And you try to find a balance and you, you know a caloric restriction. Another one would be a macronutrient restriction. Your three macronutrients, of course carbohydrate, fat, and protein. So today we're talking about a carbohydrate-restrictive diet with adequate protein. I'm not going to get deeply into that. That's something you really should get the Dr. Ead's book, The Protein Power Life Plan for. There's a link in today's show notes. And almost everything I mentioned today, if there's any way I can link to it for you, it's in today's show notes. Again, episode 2494 is today's show. All right, so then there's that kind of diet. Then there's diets that restrict you know, a specific type of food. It could be a vegan diet. Would be a diet because even though it's pretty much okay, you can eat anything that's vegan if you're not also employing some other restrictions or some other guidelines, which you really need to when you're doing vegan, uh, because there's so many things you don't get if you're not mindful about it. Uh, or vegetarian. These are just saying okay, you can't eat meat and fish, and you know there's there's all kinds of diets as much as marketing can come up with that have certain things that are restricted out of them, and that's how we think of diet and. Where it falls apart is no matter what approach people take. If if the diet works or mostly works enough to make them happy, they go back to diet as a noun, which is the food they eat every day, and they do so with no real restriction. And they don't really—they're no longer mindful about the food that they eat. And then they end up right back where they were because even if they initially just kind of back off the restriction a bit, if they don't keep some level of mindfulness, eventually they're back to eating whatever got them in the problem. And, gee, they end up back in the problem. And the chief complaint that I hear about low-carb diets, no matter what they are, whether they're something like primal uh, that Gary Collins does, paleo uh, in the stance of like a Rob Wolf, protein power, which is what I primarily recommend, Atkins, doesn't matter what it is, What medical establishment says, well, they all, they work great. Okay, then what's your problem? Well, when you stop doing it, you gain the weight back. Well, no shit, Sherlock. How stupid is that? That is the dumbest objection that I've ever heard anybody make to any sort of a diet. Because that applies to every diet that is out there. Every diet has a certain amount of mindfulness and restriction in it, if we're talking about diet as a verb or any kind of a managed plan of eating. And if we remove that restriction, then the person's natural inclinations, coupled with their genetics and their disposition and their place in life and what they can buy and what they can afford, is going to lead them right back to where they came from. doesn't matter what the diet is. So what you're saying is it works the best out of everything for weight loss, but if you stop doing it, you get fat again. Again, no shit. That seems to me a non-starter objection. But if we're going to define low-carb, then we have to come from a place. So I'm going to tell you the place that I'm coming from today. The place I'm coming from today, again, is the the Protein Power Plan, which is now the Protein Power Life Plan uh, by the Dr. Zeds. In all of the different ones I've examined, it's the easiest one for people to get their head around and to manage their life based on. And if they do it right to transition into something that will maintain the better health and lower weight. And again, I'm going to talk about how it all goes wrong. I'm going to be completely honest about myself today and how I have been in excellent shape and then gotten fat again and then got in excellent shape and then got really fat and then got in good shape and then got sort of fat again and then got in good shape and then got fat again. And I understand the mistakes I've made, and I understand the mistakes I've made both after I got into shape and while I was trying to get into shape better than I ever have now. And it will all make sense, but I'm coming from there. And protein power works in three specific phases, and the reason I think it's the best bet for not everybody but for the most people is that the third phase is how we transition into mindful eating for the rest of our lives. All right? So let's start out with what Phase 1 is. Phase 1 is extremely restrictive, though not quite as restrictive as the granddaddy of all uh, uh, low-carb eating diets, uh, Atkins. It's 7 to 10 grams of carbs per meal, plus an optional snack of 7 to 10 grams. So we're talking about somewhere between 21 and 40 grams a day. And I'm going to tell you that personally, I think getting up to 40 grams a day if you are significantly overweight is too high. It's too high. We need to be more in that 21 to maximum 30 grams. So if we're gonna add the snack, we need to go with like a zero carb to one to two carb snack. Um, and if we're gonna have like snack after dinner and have like a second snack, then it really needs to be zero carbs. And if we're going to do that, we need to stay in the zero carbs and and relatively uh, low calories in that last little nibble that we have between dinner and bed. And if we're going to do that, we better take a freaking walk. And this is how I would tell you to get through that period of your life. Since you're going to have to take the walk anyway because you're kind of nibbly after dinner, it's probably more habit than actual hunger because if you're eating this way, you are not going to be hungry. Okay, So go take your walk first. And you might find that if you take your walk first, and I don't care if that's two, two laps around the block, if you're in the suburbs, if you have a larger property like me, uh, even the two acres that I don't have to cross a fence to get to, a couple laps around there, you know, it's a half mile, three quarters of a mile. So just take a quick walk in the evening when the sun goes down, you know, if it's summertime and you don't like walking during the day after dinner, and you might find that nibbliness, even though it's more activity goes away. What will happen is you'll start kicking in, burning those fat reserves, and when you really start to do that, and the body starts feeding on those fat reserves, your, your, your appetite will be suppressed not only by the high fat and moderate protein that you're consuming, but it will also be suppressed by the fact that your body is getting what it needs from extended fat reserves, which is how you lose weight. Phase two, we go up to about 50 grams of carbohydrates per day, and we still want to divide that evenly. And I'll talk more about that in a bit. Um, if you if you don't divide things evenly and you try to save all your carbs for dinner or something like that, you get into trouble. Um, that's not a lot less restrictive initially, but when you work out, that you know you're now in the neighborhood. Um, of somewhere between 12 and 16 grams a meal, depending on what you do with your snacking, uh, it's a lot less restrictive than 7 to 10. And when I start going through some of the recipes I have for you guys today, you'll start to see how big a deal it really is. Once... You then are at your weight, your target weight, where you want to be. You can transition into Phase 3, which is going to be somewhere in the neighborhood between 75 and 130 grams of uh, carbohydrates a day. And we still want to maintain somewhere between 30 to 35 per meal or per serving. And I think it's better to keep it around 25 uh, for your main meals anyway, and then you figure out your snacks from there. And 25 for your main meals is 75 total It seems restrictive versus the standard American diet. But remember, when we stop restricting or being mindful, we get fat again, and we get unhealthy again. Um, When you start going to have, even in the neighborhood of 20 grams per meal, and you're actually designing your meals, and you're actually paying attention and doing things the right way, which until recently I've never done before, you are going to find that that is actually, like I said, You're now moving into the 800 to 1,000 square foot house, but you've been living in the tiny house, and all of a sudden you realize it's plenty. And that is what will allow people to then transition to a lifetime of eating the right way and maintain what they worked so hard for. And having worked hard for it many times and lost it, I can tell you, if you don't do that, you end up hating yourself. So there's some things that you need to actually keep this working especially during the heavy restrictive phase one and 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 fairly restrictive phase two number one is a scale and i recommend the salter electric scale i have a link in the show notes but you need a scale you need to waste it and you're gonna find out real quick when you do that you thought you were eating seven ten carbohydrates And you were eating 15, 16, 18 carbohydrates. Because we take things that are relatively low carbohydrate, and then we say, oh, we can have as much of that as we want. And we end up eating something like carrots or what have you, or shallots, or garlic. We think of garlic as a seasoning, and seasoning has nothing. Garlic actually has quite a bit of carbohydrate. It's really good stuff, and I still cook with it. But we need to count it. So we need a scale, and we need to count everything. We need the discipline, in the beginning especially, to to measure and count everything. And we need to develop recipes for ourselves where we at least control portions. And instead of saying, well, we can have a handful portion size or whatever the government says, that's meaning. A handful of what? Well, vegetables. Well, what vegetables? Potatoes? Carrots? Potatoes and carrots? Carrots? You know, Or celery and, 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 uh, let's say, like celery and spinach. That's a big difference. That's a huge difference. And, again, you're going to see how much today. And I think what you really need to do is have a cheat sheet of everything that you routinely tend to cook with that gives you net carbs. And I'll talk about net carbs in a minute per ounce. And I'm going to tell you exactly how to sort that out as well because it's really, really important. And I think it's a good idea to do it in Excel and then create a page for yourself where you can formulate recipes, and it pulls from other cells and other pages or tabs, and it gives you totals. And the reason you want to do this, it's a pain in the ass to build, and I've always refused to give away spreadsheets. I'm going to be working this week on kind of building a spreadsheet where you can just key things in and uh, figure out exactly how to link everything together and make it work where anybody that gets their hands on it can use it. And I'm going to give that one away. I usually don't because I, I believe Excel is also a life skill. I want you to learn how to flip and use it. Um, but I want to try to figure it out where as I keep adding ingredients, we can always pull those ingredients uh, over to a single page that will make a recipe and basically be like a software program inside Excel. And so that when you say, I want to use one ounce of carrots, it will just tell you. Or at least you can grab and tab, and we'll talk about that when, when I actually release it. But you want to be able to at least have, if nothing else, a list of you know the 30, 40 things that you mainly cook with and per ounce. And, if, and then, if nothing else, even without it magically pulling over for you, you can sit there with that and you can key those numbers into a basic Excel spreadsheet. And when you do that, it is going to tell you how many net carbs you have. Why would you go all through this? Because once you set that up, once you have your cheat sheet and a basic you know, tabulating simple spreadsheet, formulating a meal takes seconds. Otherwise, you have to go look it up. And I'm going to give you a place to look it up, but you only want to look it up once, and you only want to do the math once. And you want to be able to just throw in 1 ounce, 2 ounce, 3 ounce, or .25 or .5 ounces of things, And have those numbers spit out. And then you can adjust them. And then using your scale, you're going to be able to actually set this up and do it right. And you're going to be able to do it easily. And because you can do it easily, you'll actually effing do it. And without that, I'm telling you, when I give you the recipes, you're going to be like, holy shit, no wonder this didn't work as well as I expected it to. You might even get a little bit mad about it. You have nobody to blame like I do except yourself because you made assumptions just like I did. Oh, garlic, I throw, throw four cloves of garlic in there. Oh, okay. Well, wait do you see what that does when we get to it. All right. Um, the next thing is the main reason that people fail, to go back to this, is that they don't count everything or they don't count accurately. So just kind of summing that last little segment up. Uh, another reason people fail is cheat days. I'm going to have a cheat day. Well, let's talk about what people do and what people should be doing if they're going to have a cheat day. Number one, I think during your phase one, so let's say that you have um, 30 pounds of weight to lose. You're 30 pounds from your target weight, however you've determined that. You probably should lose 20 before you even think about a cheat day. It sucks. I don't care. You made yourself overweight. It's up to you to make yourself at right weight. So before you even think about cheating, you should be two-thirds of the way there. And it's about that point that you should be able to move into phase two if you're doing protein power. If you're doing another plan, do whatever they say. Okay? Um, Now, what is cheating? To me, before you get to your ideal weight, cheating is maybe having one meal with ten extra carbs. It is not going to a Mexican restaurant, chowing down on an entire bowl of chips... Eating a cheese dip that's probably full of carbs because it's not just cheese. Then ordering uh, enchiladas where there's more tortillas than eating the beans and rice. And pounding down a 100 carbohydrates in a single meal. That is not a cheat day. That is a failure day. A cheat day is you let yourself go a little higher during one meal. And to compensate for it, you schedule physical activity after that meal. But again, we should be two-thirds to our target weight before we introduce the idea of a cheat day. When we get to a phase three, if we're in in protein power, and we need to be targeting 30 to 35 for a meal at max and 25 in general, then a cheat cheat day is where we have a meal, not a whole day, but a meal with 50 carbohydrates in it. And by that time, our body's going to be able to deal with that. And I have to explain something here that's really, really important. With cheat days, if you do them to the extreme, what actually happens? Number one, once you get yourself in really good shape and your body's optimized and you stop shocking it with all this sugar, because I don't care what anybody tells you, a carbohydrate, unless it's a fiber-based carbohydrate, which we'll get to in a minute, every carbohydrate is sugar. A pound of potato and a pound of sugar is roughly equivalent. Enough potato to have the same amount of carbohydrate in it as, let's say, a cup of sugar. The potato is now equivalent to a cup of sugar. It's not cup for cup. But when you do the carbohydrate conversion, it's the same. You might as well have just ate that much cane sugar. No one wants to think about it that way. Everybody's trying to tell us eating our gruel is good for us. It's bullshit. I can't get into all the reasons why. We've talked about that in the past. But it is the truth. And when we eat that much sugar... We throw everything out of whack with our insulin, our insulin resistance, our liver has to work overtime, our kidneys, we throw everything off. Now, when we are eating optimally and restricting carbohydrate to where it belongs for a human being, we may throw our system more out of whack than the person that does it every day and somehow doesn't get too fat. Because now our body is adapted to eating this way. So when we do that, Everything goes off kilter. So if we're still in a phase where we want to lose weight, how long does it take for our body to recover from that abuse? And the answer is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of a week. So by having your one cheat day, you've cost yourself a week. Now, what if you have a cheat day every week? Well, you shut yourself down. So again, cheating, phase two, you throw maybe 10 extra carbs on one meal with a good long walk or something after it. Okay, you're Probably your best meal to cheat is probably your, your afternoon meal because you can schedule time to go take that long walk or whatever, and you don't plop down and relax. I'm not talking about heavy exercise. I'm just talking about some level of exercise to burn off the extra carbohydrates to keep the body metabolizing since you've done that. Uh, and I, Again, I think you should do them as few as possible. Let's talk about net carbs, the truth, and what I call the net carb scam. The net carb reality is your body cannot digest fiber. So if you have something that has five carbs in it, but two of those carbs are in the form of fiber, you have three carbs net that you count toward your restriction. That's fine. You will see things like uh, Dreamfields, pasta or whatever, and they'll say there's a net carb on there, and they figured out some way that they think they're figuring this out. It's a bullshit number. Whatever the carbohydrate total is, less the fiber is the net carbs, period, the end, infinity. The reality is... But these diets have compensated for this already. But you still need to even... This is why people want to push more toward the fat intake on this, good fats, etc., to fill you up, to be satiating, etc. But when you eat protein, protein will be converted by the body over time to carbohydrate at about 60%. So if you eat... 10 grams of protein, your body will eventually extract about six grams of carbohydrate from it. However, the way that it works doesn't allow for the huge insulin spike, and since it's kind of converting as needed, it's, it's not a direct confluence. And again, all these diets have their if you follow everything they tell you to do, that's already factored in, even if they didn't do it consciously. It doesn't matter. But that is the truth. That's why eating pure lean meat on these diets is probably not a good idea. And that's why you're better off, let's say, choosing a thigh cutlet of your chicken than a breast. Okay? All right. Because what does the body do with fat? It burns it. It burns it. It doesn't convert it to anything. It burns it as it comes in. All right? And if the body's in fat-burning mode and you've consumed excess fat, you excrete it. All right, I know some of you don't believe me, but trust me, it's the truth. All right, so the next thing is you've got to watch out for zero-calorie sweeteners. If you're going to use any sweetener that is a zero-calorie sweetener, it should probably be stevia, and that even should be limited. Um, I can't get into it. I'll see if I can link directly to Dr. Stevens, who's been on the show, from Green Wellness Health, also known as Doctor's Nutrition. Uh, He has a podcast on sweeteners. I might have to link just to the main podcast page because his is done kind of weird. It's not all itemized like I do mine. Um, but he goes through a lot of the science behind why all of these sweeteners, including sulacrose, are ne- not necessarily good for you. Uh, sulacrose, in particular, I wasn't aware of this while so I listened to him talk about this, has been shown definitively to kill off good gut bacteria. So while you're taking all those probiotics or eating you know, fermented foods, you're trying to up your probiotics, and like me, you're like, I don't want to eat sugar, so you're using something uh, with sulacrose in it, you're killing off your good gut bacteria, and it can lead to all kinds of other problems. That's just one example. So if you're going to use artificial sweeteners, use stevia, uh, and use that even in moderation. And you'll develop more taste for your food by not always sweetening it. Uh, And Then alcohol. You guys know me. I like like my drinks, Um, but reality when you're losing weight. If you have a serving of alcohol, which would be like one light beer, like a Miller Lite, or a one small glass of white wine, you're going to take your body out of fat burning mode for a few hours at least. If you have two servings, you're going to kick it out for like a day. If you have more than that, you're going to kick it out for like 48 hours. If you have more, you know, significantly more than that, you might kick it out of that mode for four, five, six days. And then if you have another drink, you see where that goes. So while you're losing weight, you want to severely restrict or even eliminate alcohol. And then you have to count the carbs in it. So I think a, a Miller Lite has like 3.5 carbs, Michelobol's are 2.8 or something like that. Gee, I'm working off of my memory. Hopefully that's all right. But it's somewhere in that neighborhood. So if you're going to do that, then I'm saying like while you're in major intervention, you know that's a Saturday afternoon having one beer. That's not every day. Because you're going to constantly be pulling yourself out of fat-burning mode. Yes, the body metabolizes alcohol directly, but while your liver is dealing with the alcohol you've put in there, it's not dealing with all the other stuff it's supposed to deal with, or at least not optimally. So again, we're talking about people, if you're significantly overweight, or if you're having a hard time, let's say you've done a good job, and you're only 10 pounds overweight, and it's that last 10 pounds kicking your ass, just give up alcohol till you get there. You can have it again. In moderation, but give it up until you get there. Uh, next, you really have to understand that your por- per-meal restrictions are as important, if maybe not even more important, than your per-day limits. If you save up, let's, let's say you say, well, I can have 21, carbo- 21 grams. I'm even going to go the most restrictive, 7 grams per meal, not counting a snack, and I'm only have 21 grams of carbohydrate. And you go 100% restricted, but then for dinner, you go and have 20 grams of carbohydrate, which is almost possible to be zero, by the way. And again, you're going to see what I mean when I get into this. But even if you did that, well, now what you're doing is you're taking a full day's dose and putting it all at once. Let's compare it to a drug, because food is a drug in a way. We certainly can become addicted to carbohydrates and really... Carbohydrates and fat combined, that is uh, the the biggest drug in America, in my opinion, doing the most damage. So if we look at a a medication, and you're supposed to take it three times a day, and you do that, it can do whatever it's supposed to do for you, and hopefully the pharmaceutical companies didn't lie, and you're not going to be in any danger of an overdose. But if you say, well, I didn't have my two doses today, I forgot and you pop three pills of some strong medication for dinner, you can overdose on that medication, or it can cause you at least more side effects. It's the same thing. You've got to keep your restriction in place on a per-meal basis. You can't save it up. Saving it up on a cheat day? Well, then that might make a little sense. So if we really, if we say we want to do a cheat day, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to really restrict my breakfast and dinner and I'm going to take my extra carbohydrates and move them to my lunch not 100% of them, but you know I'm going to, I'm going to add maybe 5-6 grams to that meal as my cheat day during intervention especially phase 2 intervention yeah, that might be a little bit better but overall, keep them parceled out. If you happen to do really, really low carb then just keep the next meal restricted and then be significantly under for the day. Don't Don't allow yourself the luxury of making it up, is what I'm saying, all right? Um, So now, let's talk about these meals I want to give you today. And Again, I think you'll like these no matter what your diet is. I don't think any of these, I think if I serve this to anybody, they'd be like, oh, this is going to be good, except maybe the first one if you don't like sardines. And here's what I've done for you guys. I'm going to give you the procedure in the podcast. So I, I wrote up a document with five of these ten with all the ingredients in them so you can go get them. And But in that, I don't really give you much procedure at all. So you take the procedure, and you just don't have to write down the individual things. But the biggest reason I did this is I want you to realize carbs are coming from places you don't think they're coming from. And sometimes more than you would ever realize. So my first thing is a great lunch. I've talked about it before, but I've never broke it down to its total carb count and exactly how to make it. You guys know, if you've listened a while, that one of my big passions in life when it comes to food is fish, and I love sardines, and I love the best sardines you can get. And to me, one of the best brands that's available in the world, and probably the best brand available in the United States that's regularly available, is by a company called Matisse Gallego. And they're awesome. Each can has three plump little sardines in it, and they're in basically water, salt, and olive oil in their own oils. That's it. There's no carbs in them at all. So we're going to start out with three of those sardines, and we're going to have zero carbs. Yay, we have zero carbs. But we're going to wrap them in Napa cabbage leaves. Now, when people eat cabbage, they generally think, oh, it's a diet food. I eat as much cabbage as I want. 3 cabbage leaves, 3 full-size napa cabbage leaves are going to have about 2.7 carbs. Now, if you're edging to the limit with a meal and you were including cabbage with that, you can see where it would push you over, maybe even 30% over if you're right at your limit. That's that's just one example so far of what you have to pay attention to. But we're going to take those 3 sardines and we're going to put them onto uh, some cabbage leaves. And we're going to take some of that oil and we're going to drizzle it all over there because it's going to be really good. We'd either pick these up and eat them like like a like, a, like a, a wrap or we can just make a salad out of it. It's up to you how you want to do it. Then we're going to get a half ounce of roasted hemp seed. Now, a half ounce of roasted hemp seed, a lot of people say that's no carbohydrate. And this hemp seed's less likely, but this is where you get into trouble. Some stuff will say... Calories per serving, or carbohydrates per serving, zero on the nutritional label. Okay. Great. What's the serving size? If it's a tablespoon or a quarter ounce or whatever, and it's less than one carb, by law, they can put zero on there because it's less than one. Okay. Hmm. But if you're using three or four times that amount, it's like, let's say, 0.4, you could be at 1.6 carbs. It's not huge, but it matters. In the case of a half ounce of roasted hemp seed, you're at two carbs. No problem with this recipe. But if you're making a salad with a bunch of other shit in it and you throw another half ounce of of roasted hemp seed on it, oh, man, you can push you over. Or it can just, you might already be over if you're not paying attention, and now you're more over. So if you're worried about hemp and you're even like, I don't want to do CBD or whatever, roasted hemp seed has no nothing in it, okay? Okay. It's, it's not any kind of a drug whatsoever. It's really, really flavorful and really crunchy, and you could substitute another roasted, toasted seed-type thing as long as you count the carbs in it. And then you're going to want two ounces of mashed avocado, which when we look at the original number seems a little bit high, but when we take the fiber out, we're at 1.2 grams. That's right around a half of an avocado, by the way. We're going to mix the seeds in the avocado, and we're going to use that to dress the... The sardines. What I like to do is put them in the leaf. Put, uh, you know, divide the uh, avocado up into thirds. On each one, wrap that leaf up, and that's a fantastic lunch. That's actually my lunch today. That's why I included this one. Total carbs: 5.9 grams. Even if we're in the seven to ten gram, we're we're we're, we're rocking. We really might be able to have a snack that day without worrying about it. Uh, next up, we're gonna push things a little past the phase one number but only a little bit and we're going to have multiple ways we can pull back underneath it and be just fine okay but I want to show you that we can have some comfort foods and have a really fantastic dinner and I have to say that I would not be afraid to eat this dinner at all and I'm going to tell you how to get it right down to about 10 without even sacrificing much of the flavor okay It is blackened fish with roasted fennel vegetables. I actually uh, made this last night, and I put a picture of it on Facebook today, and it is the picture for today's thing. I use cod, but you can use any fish you want. Uh, But the more steak-like, the best We're going to blacken it with Chef Paul's Redfish Magic Seasoning. It's another product I've mentioned before. Really, really love the stuff. Uh, Fish that's good for this mahi, snapper, cobia, salmon, anything that's got that steak-like thing. If you're going to use cod like I did, um, the redfish magic has enough salt in it that as long as you do it in advance, the part I'm going to give you next, it'll do what I'm going to say, which is firm the fish up. If you're going to do cod or halibut or fish like that that can be a little bit soft in any other way you're cooking it, Put whatever salt you're going to use, put the salt on it a little bit before the rest of the prep. It'll pull some moisture out of it and firm it up. What we're going to do is we're going to take butter. We're going to melt some butter in a, in a little bowl in, a, in the microwave. We're going to brush the fish with the butter, and we're going to lightly sprinkle enough to coat it so it looks well-coated but not caked with the Redfish Magic seasoning and set it aside and let it sit for about 15, 20 minutes or more. Again, that's going to firm it up, and it's also going to cause that stuff to stick to it a little bit and then we're gonna, we're just going to blacken that in a pan and we're going to do that right at the end because it's not going to take long to do that to cook fish that way so all we're going to do to do that is we're going to take our pan heat it up, add a little bit of oil, maybe the rest of the butter uh, the oil will reduce the smoke point, I like to use a peanut oil or a flaxseed oil for this because uh, it's going to be a high temperature, you don't want to use olive oil at a really high temperature uh, especially in a frying pan like that it can go kind of bitter on you and ruin all the health benefits of it Use in the oven at higher temperatures because it doesn't actually get all the way there. We'll get to that in a second. So that's all we're going to do. We're going to take that fish. We're going to cook it on both sides until it's done, Till the seasoning turns a nice mahogany black. Uh, we might spoon a little bit of the butter and oil over it at the end, pull it off, and let it drain. When you cook fish this way with the black and seasoning, it's going to be pretty oily. Really a great idea to have a cooling rack sitting in a cake pan tray and set it on there and let it drain off a little bit. Uh, it just be a better eating experience. But what we want to do is about 25 minutes before we're ready to cook the fish, we want to put the vegetables in the oven. Here's what we're going to have. And I'm going to give you the carb count, and it might shock you when I get to things like garlic and peppers even. You might be surprised I'm going to do potatoes with this. Not a lot. We're going to use six ounces of fennel, chopped coarse. That's about one bowl, but you want to weigh it. That's two carbs because fennel has a lot of fiber in it. Two ounces of baby potatoes cut up into little cubes. That'll make them seem to go further. Two ounces of baby... Oh, potatoes, 8.9 carbs. Uh, this is for two people, though. So we're going to divide the whole thing in half when we get to the end. Uh, two ounces of baby carrots, that's 3.85 carbs. Two ounces of celery, that's about one big stock. But again, if you really want to be accurate, you want to weigh this stuff. 6.68 carbs. Five ounces of sweet pepper, that's, about, that's right around one, one fairly large sweet pepper. 4.1 net carbs and then a half ounce of garlic minced. Okay? That's two to three cloves of garlic. Get this, 4.4 carbohydrates. That's why garlic's so sweet when you roast it. That's why it tastes so good. It's got a lot of sugar in it. For the size, that's significant. You're only talking about a half ounce, and your 4.4 4 carbs were six ounces of, uh, or I'm sorry, two ounces of potatoes is 8.9. So... Garlic has more pota- more carbohydrates than potato does. Most alliums, shallots, onions, etc. Do. We just use them in smaller amounts, so we don't generally think about it. Okay, well, how does that all work out? That meal that I've just described is 23.93 carbohydrates. That's 11.96 per serving. But if you if you are in an intervention and you want to pull that down, take out the potatoes. That's going to be about 7.5. If you are willing to be about 9.9, so now you're 10, here's how you do it with the garlic flavor. Put the garlic cloves in, either whole or cut in half, and when you serve it, leave them behind. That'll knock down 2.2 carbs per serving on this particular meal. To cook this, all we're going to do is set the oven to 425 degrees. Put everything into an oven-safe metal pan, like a carbon steel skillet is what I use. Put all your vegetables in there, hit them with salt and pepper, and put about two to three tablespoons of olive oil over top of them. Mix them well. Cook them for about 15 minutes. Open the oven and and mix them up and cook them for about another 10 minutes. That's all you got to do. The fennel is amazing. Now, a warning. I made this last night. We're not sure why, but my wife got really, really sick after this. She could have had a reaction to fennel. I don't think that's what it is. We're going to make a little bit of fennel a couple weeks from now and let her try it alone, just a little bit, and see if she has any reaction whatsoever. She loved it, but then she got sick. So maybe some people have a sensitivity to fennel. I don't know. Most people that do apparently have a sensitivity to celery, but I just wanted to throw that out there as a warning. So we can have this be anywhere between seven and a half to 12 carbohydrates per meal. Even in a Phase one intervention, if we're going to take a walk after dinner, I don't have a problem with that. I, I really don't. Anyway, this meal is absolutely fantastic, and you don't have to write anything down. Everything, including the carb count, is available for you uh, in a download that you can get on a PDF in today's show notes. Next up, how about breakfast? How about Jack's jalapeno breakfast sausage with potatoes and eggs? Maybe potatoes, maybe not. Depends on where you're at on your journey. But you can have a little bit of potato with this. And because of the way it's made, it goes a long way. First, you've got to make the sausage. And I'm big on making my own sausage because almost every package of sausage that you pick up in a store, you're going to see sugar, corn sugar, corn syrup, molasses, something like that in it. Some form of a sugar sweetener in the sausage. That's carbohydrates and sugar that you don't need. And in general, even when it says sugar, a lot of times it's corn sugar which means it's corn syrup, which means it's probably GMO, which means it probably has glyphosate in it. So now you have, like, a really great food, and they're putting sugar in it. I like to use pork butt. It's a really fatty cut of pork. works great for sausage. I put it through my own grinder, and here's per pound how I make it. And I like to do things per pound, per a single unit. That way, all we got to do to scale up is we're going to do five, multiply everything by five. Really simple. So, this is one pound of fatty ground pork, I like to grind it coarse, one teaspoon of fennel, guess what, and fennel seed, guess what, that's .73 carbohydrates. Does it matter? Maybe. If you're going to eat a pound of sausage, it does, we're not going to eat a pound, but I wanted to point that out for you. Half a teaspoon of salt, Co- A half a teaspoon of black pepper, guess what, .76 carbohydrates. That matters. It counts. Now, I know you think, well, both of them are less than one, but now the two together make about one and a half carbohydrates. If we're in a seven to ten carbohydrate restriction per meal, we can go over with that. This is what I'm saying. If you're not measuring everything, if you're not factoring in everything, you can't. it's not about you can't have it. You need to make decisions based on real information, not assumed information here, okay? Uh, 4 fresh sage leaves we're going to call that a trace amount there's no real carbohydrate there because it's mostly fiber and you're not going to use enough sage in anything so um, we'll we'll go ahead and give that one a pass and then we're going to want this is a jalapeno garlic sausage 1 ounce of garlic finely minced and the way I do it I throw the cloves right through with the meat I cut the cloves up in pieces and I throw the cloves right into the meat grinder while the meat's going through so it just gets ground into the meat and, and that's 8.7 carbohydrates. One ounce of garlic is 8.7 carbohydrates. And that's going to be two to three cloves depending on how big they are. How do you know? You've got to use a scale. That's why I said you need a scale to do this right. And we want about two ounces of chopped jalapeno. Again, most people say, ah, it's two ounces. Per quarter of a pound a half a carb. So the stuff we would have not even looked at has made up all the carbs. We would think, well, this thing has no carbs in it um, there's about 12 point19 carbs per pound now who the hell eats a pound of sausage in one setting as a as a matter of everyday living a quarter pound is a good serving of sausage when it's going with eggs especially so a quarter pound servings three carbs but how many people if they made this sausage for themselves, would have just decided, well, it's meat, so zero carbs. And now you've got three carbs you didn't count on. But the good news is, we can have about one and a half ounces of fried potatoes with this and stay in our kind of 10-carb world with this. So, uh, depending on what kind of eggs we eat. Because I I really want to open your eyes to the assumptions people make today about carbohydrates in their food. So... What what you do to make this meal, you take your quarter pound of sausage and form it into four small patties. That'll let you get a really good hard sear on them, and they'll cook really quick for you because they're small. You fry those till they're done, get them out of the pan, set them on something to drain, and then take your one and a half ounces of baby potato, diced, and throw that into sausage grease. You might have to add a little oil because you're not going to render that much grease out of that little bit of sausage. And cook those potatoes, then move them out onto something to drain them. Cook your eggs to any way you like. I like over easy, over medium, something like that. You can scramble them. You can do whatever you want with them. You can add stuff to them, but you got to count your carbohydrates if you do. If you chop a pepper up and throw it in there, that's fine. You just have to count it. You have to put it in your recipe. Um, again, I like over easy, over medium. Now, eggs. Everybody says eggs are zero carbohydrates. A chicken egg is about 0. .4 carbs. A duck egg, which is what I eat, they're about one carbohydrate in egg. That's that's really low, but two eggs is two carbohydrates. How many people, again, now, you think you throw the potato out of here and all I had was two duck eggs and some sausage, zero carbs. No, that's not true, all right? Um, You're at 3.6 that way, but let's talk about it with the potato. The potato is 6.6 carbs of carbohydrate. So let's do the math on using the potatoes. And we've made kind of like a hash like thing here. And we're able to do that with low carb with a little bit of potato binding in, you know, kind of having fun with that sausage. So we end up with the sausage at 3.04, the potato at 6.6, the eggs at 0.8 for chicken eggs. Total carbs 10.44. I'm not going to get too wound up over 0.44 carbs. Um, We could always cut the potato to three-quarters of an ounce, though that's not really very much at all if we do that. That's not even one little baby potato. An ounce and a half is about two baby potatoes. But diced up and spread out, they they give you that comfort feeling. Uh, Again, they suck up that sausage grease, and, yeah, it tastes great, and you're eating a diet food. With duck eggs, we're at 11.6 carbohydrates. We're a little high there, so we might want to forego the potatoes. Right now, I'm trying to lose weight again. I'm not eating potatoes in this particular meal. But I know full well that by the time I get to phase two, I can have you know an ounce and a half to two ounces of potatoes in there and not even get close to blowing my limit when I'm allowed to have just a little bit more. So you can see, again, we're in a situation where things that people would say are zero-hundred uh, can add up to be somewhat significant. Here's another one. This is flavor town, man. This is big time flavor. How about Moroccan lamb and vegetables and mushrooms? And this is, again, a Serves 2 recipe. Um, here's what we're going to do here. We're going to take one to three po- uh, pounds of lamb or more. It depends on whatever you want to cook because the leftovers are great. Uh, but you want tough cuts for this. This is a slow cook. We're going to use Ross El Hanout seasoning, which I have a link for. Uh, Two ounces of baby potatoes, that's 8.9 carbs. Two ounces of baby carrot, 3.85 carbs. Two ounces of celery, that's about one big stuff cut into portions. That's .68 carbs. That doesn't sound like a lot, but it matters. We have to count them. Um, And and then we're going to have half a pound or eight ounces of mushrooms. That's 5.04 carbs. And we're going to have a half ounce of garlic. Two to three close. Again, we're back to 4.4 carbs. Total carbs in this meal, 17.75 or 8.8 per serving. Uh, To me, if you're in the 7 to 10 carb range, that's fine. I mean, we're right in the middle of it. There's no problem there, especially that's a dinner meal. Uh, if you wanted to have some other things though, you wanted to have a salad, and that's going to have a couple, three carbs or something of like you know some spinach and arugula or something like, dressed with olive oil. Well, you might want to cut it to 6.6. You can, um, what you can do to cut the carbs down by about 2.2 per serving. Again, take the garlic leave it whole, throw it in there, let the flavor permeate and remove the bulbs and don't eat them. Or you can cut the potatoes out, and you, know, you can cut 9 grams, which is about 4.5 grams per side on that. So you would be down to only, like even with the garlic, like 4.4 4 grams. So you, you, you have to make decisions, again, based on real information and real data, and uh, you're in good shape. Uh, the next one, how about pork and apples? Oh come on, Jack! And shallots. Well, I just told you that, um, you know, you the shallots are an allium and, and, and therefore they're high in sugar. You can't do pork and apples, Jack, and be low carb. Yeah? you, you want to bet? If I can get it under 12 carbohydrates and make you think you're eating pork and apples, and I'm going to use some real apples and I'm going to use real shallots. And I can give you all the flavor experience of pork and apples with 12 carbohydrates. Would you say I did a good job? Because apple's high. Okay, here we go. Uh, We're going to use a magical vegetable called Himica. And it's spelled like Jicama, J-I-C-A-M-A, jicama. And this is a root vegetable native to Central and South America. grows as a tuber, and it tastes mostly like apple it's very low in carbohydrate. Uh, it's 1.1 ounces, 1.1 grams per ounce. Okay, so eight ounces of yamaka is only 8.8 carbohydrates. But we really want to intensify the apple flavor that's there. We want to bring more sugar because that's what goes so good with our pork. So we're going to use three ounces of apple, diced, diced instead of sliced. We're going to slice the yamaka. Like apple, we're going to dice the apple so that it cooks really into the yimica and the pork. All right? And then we're going to use one ounce of chopped shallots. We don't need a ton of shallots. We're not really going to eat the shallots. We want the flavor of the shallots, balancing the sweetness of the apples. Okay, you know what that's going to give us? 9.66 carbohydrates for the apple. 8.8 for the ch- yemeca. And 4.76 for the chopped shallots. Eleven. 0.61 carbohydrates. I just gave you pork and apples in a low carb diet. Pushing a little bit on a phase one intervention, no problem on phase two at all, fine, right in the ballpark. So during phase one, maybe you don't get the real apples. Maybe you don't get the real apples. How about that? Cut the apples out, just use the Yemika, and it will taste so much like apple. There'll just be a little less of a sweetness to the party, and you're going to be at 6.78. Pork chops and apples. How'd I do? I think I did pretty good. Now, I'm going to cheat. My next five recipes I'm going to blow through really quick, and they are from a dude I love, and it's from one of his new cookbooks. His name is Jamie Oliver. He's a British chef. He's a guy that came to this country I felt really bad for. I felt really bad Really bad for Jamie Oliver. He came here, he did two seasons of a show where he went into our schools and tried to change the school lunches. And everybody basically treated him like shit. And he said, you know what, I'm trying to save lives over here. Screw it. And he went back to England. I don't blame him. I don't blame him. He was so... If you look up, and I don't remember what it was called, but if you look up his show, I'll try to find it on the internet and put links to it so you can find it. It's probably on Hulu or Netflix or something now. And you look at the two seasons he did. went to West Virginia one year and came to uh, California the next. And the way he was treated by the school system, and you just realize the school system doesn't give a shit about your kids. They want to give your kids diabetes. When I was a kid in school, there was a thing called the fat kid. You remember the fat kid? If you're like 40 or older, you probably can tell me the name of the fat kid from your high school. Or maybe there were two. Two or three, maybe, but you probably can name one. Go to a high school today. There's fat kids everywhere. There's fat kids in grade school. So that's the school system. And this dude has worked his ass off trying to get people to eat better. His new book is called, it's not a new, it's a newer book for him. It's one of his newest books. It's not the newest. It's called Five Ingredient Quick and Easy Food. And he's got a whole series based on it, which is how I found out about it. I'm going to tell you right now it's a fairly expensive book, just earned 30 bucks hardback beautiful pictures that cost money to print that's why it's expensive it is not a low carb cookbook it is not it has a bunch of pasta dishes in it. it has a bunch of dessert dishes in it but i would say if you take out the pasta in the dessert dishes about half of them are either low carb or you can turn them into low carb with a spreadsheet you're going to build by changing some of the ingredients and really easy to do because there's only five ingredients per meal So I want to go through that with you. But what, what came to me while I was doing this is how do you know what your carbohydrates per ounce are? And I've got a resource for you in the show notes today that you need to utilize as you build your cheat sheet or your ingredient sheet or whatever you want to call it. The best website I have found for this is a website called fatsecret.com. Don't go directly there. If you get to the homepage of it, you can hardly do a damn thing on the site without registering and signing in so that they can email you a bunch of crap that tells you that you need to be on a low-fat diet. Um, I am not looking for their advice. I am looking for their information. They have a food list that has all the foods you can think of in alphabetical order and sortable, and I've linked to that. But the best thing to do is once you're in any of the subpages, you don't have to be logged into the site or be registered or anything. You just use it like a normal website. And you'll see a box that says food search, and you can plug anything you want in there, and you'll find different options depending on you know if it's peppers, you know, like sweet peppers, hot peppers, you know green, whole, whatever. But whenever you select one, most of them will go to a page that gives you all the information. It'll be like for a cup or one serving or whatever. But there'll be a little thing below it, and it'll say things like, you know, for 100 grams, for an ounce, whatever. You click on the one ounce. You get that one ounce number. You plug that on your your spreadsheet. And when it's five ounces, you multiply that by five, and you're good to go. All you got to do, it'll give you total carbohydrates. It'll also be a thing that looks like a nutritional label, and that will give you the fiber. Take the carbs minus the fiber, that's your net fiber, put that in your cheat sheet, and you are good to go. So let's talk about some of these recipes from Jamie Oliver. Uh, and these are some really low-carb recipes. I'm not going to provide a breakdown uh, on my document for them. I'm just going to tell you what's in them, and you can get the book if you want uh, to get you know more information on that. I'm using them because I'm cheating today, and I don't want the show to go too long. And he has carb counts and fiber counts for every single thing. Uh, And in the show notes, I tell you what page of the book it's on, and I give you uh, the net carbs per serving. So I want to give you kind of the abbreviated version. I want to give you the ingredients of this. Two four-ounce salmon fillets, skin-on, scaled, pin-boned, 10 ounces of green beans, two eggs, eight black olives with pits. He, He says Jamie says in all his cooking stuff when he talks about olives, if they are already pitted and they have a hole in them, they're useless, especially a black olive or a dark green olive. Um, And then two heaping tablespoons of Greek yogurt. Uh, What he's going to have you do is basically steam the salmon and use the water you're steaming the salmon in uh, to cook the beans for about um, six minutes. So you're going to boil the beans under the salmon steamer for about six minutes and and take them out, drain them off. And then you're going to throw two eggs in there, and you're going to cook them for exactly five and a half minutes. That way you're going to get a soft yolk. And then you're going to squash the olives, remove the pits, and finally chop the flesh. Mix half the olives through the yogurt with a splash of uh, red wine vinegar to taste. Then season to perfection. That means use salt and pepper. Uh, and then remove the salmon to a board. Drain the eggs and the beans in a colander. Toss the beans in the dressing and divide between your two plates. This feeds two people, by the way. Um, refresh the eggs under cold water until they're cool enough to handle. Peel and cut them into quarters. Flake over the salmon and discard the skin. Arrange the eggs on top and dot over with remaining chopped olives. Finish with one teaspoon of extra virgin olive oil and a good pinch of pepper uh, from a height. and Drop it from above. And basically you end up with basically a salmon and green bean and egg salad. Uh, What's that going to do for you on carbohydrates? It's going to give you 3.2 carbohydrate grams. That's a great lunch, and it leaves room for something else. And, uh, again, I think this would be one really worth, you know, this book is worth getting. I think you'll enjoy it. I do. There's a link in the show notes for it. So next up from Jamie Oliver's cookbook, Harissa Chicken tray Bake. What is Harissa? Harissa is awesome. You start using it, you're going to use it a lot. It is an African chili paste, specifically really from Tunisia. And uh, but also used a lot in kind of Moroccan food and stuff like that as well. Um, and you can look up how to make it. you can make your own. Just be beware that most Harissa recipes are not Harissa recipes. If it tells you to put tomatoes in it, it's it's not Harissa. If it doesn't have roasted red pepper in it, it's not harissa. If it, as, as for chili peppers, uh, then it probably is harissa if it doesn't do the other things. Uh, it would also include things like garlic, coriander, um, caraway would be some of the other stuff in it. But there's a lot of prepared harissas. They vary a lot, so you'll need to sanity check the numbers I'm going to give you um, with the uh, carb count in them. Because some of them are quite sweet, and they're really not supposed to be. It's actually not really harissa. If the sweetness in it comes from anything other than the roasted red pepper, which gives that nice natural sweetness. If there's an ingredient in there that says sugar, um, not that there's sugar in it, but there's actually sugar added to it, it's also not harissa. So how do we do the harissa uh, tray bake? And this is a whole chicken. It'll feed roughly four people, and that's what the numbers are based on. Four mixed color peppers because that gives you all that great color. So you go to the grocery or you go to your backyard. But you, you know if you had like a green and orange or red and a yellow pepper, it would look really great. Uh, two red onions, uh, one two and a half pound ish whole chicken, uh, four heaping tablespoons of rose harissa, four sprigs of fresh mint, and we're going to preheat the oven to 350 degrees. Seed the peppers and tear into big chunks. Peel and quarter the onions and break apart into petals. Then place it all in a 16 by 12 inch roasting pan. Use a large sharp knife to carefully cut down the backbone of the chicken so you can open it out flat. Then score the legs so the skin will crisp and it will cook better. Uh, But you know what to do. Use your kitchen shears to get that backbone out. Way better than a knife. Um, Add to the pan. um, Then score the legs. Add the chicken to the pan and then put the harissa over the chicken. Add a little salt and pepper and red wine vinegar. Toss well to make sure you get all the nooks and crannies of the chicken. Uh, Sit the chicken flat on top of the vegetables, skin side up. Roast it all for about 50 minutes until gnarly looking and cooked through pick over the mint leaves before uh, dishing it up. So throw some mint on top of it, fresh pour dishing dish it up. I'm just going to tell you that you really need to look at the size of the chicken there. Two and a half pounds is a pretty small whole chicken. So if you're using a typical chicken that we roast in America, they're usually a little bit bigger and you may need to cook longer than 50 minutes. But that harissa is magic the flavor. And again, uh, this wonderful dish, uh, even with all that flavor in it, is going to give you eight po- carbs per serving that is assuming you split that between four people you have all those onions in there the onions are actually pretty high again you can do the math yourself with your spreadsheet here but if we don't eat the onions and just let them provide the flavor we can significantly cut the carbs down probably into the neighborhood of about six all right so that's awesome, maybe we don't eat every single stinking pepper either because there's a little bit of carbs there and we can even go lower if we want to add something else to this, though I don't know what else you'd want with that for a meal I it would be very tempted to put that on a flatbread but that would blow things to all get out until at least we get into that phase 3 world next up, this one is freaking the bomb this is one of those things that is so stupid simple and it's the kind of thing that makes me love Jamie Oliver and it is banging flavor at a whopping 3.1 carbohydrates. Because it is 5.1 carbs less 1.5 grams of fiber. All right. This is Smoky Chorizo Salmon. I need to explain something about this before I give you the, the ingredients and the procedure. It's on page 124 and 125 of Jamie's book. Um the chorizo he means is a Spanish style chorizo. This is a hard sausage you could slice and eat. It does not need to be cooked, but it's going to be briefly cooked here to make things really awesome. Here's what we need to make this recipe two, four to five ounce salmon fillets with skin on, scaled, pin boned. Um, 10 ounces of ripe mixed color cherry tomatoes. Four sprigs of fresh basil. Eight black olives, again with pits, one ounce of chorizo. Just an ounce of chorizo for flavor addition here. I'm probably gonna use two if it's me. Just saying so everybody gets an ounce. This serves two. Put the salmon flesh side down. This is a this is an interesting method of cooking here. And I love what he does. Skin side down on a large cold non-stick frying pan and place on medium-high heat. If you're going to use carbon or cast carbon steel here, fine. Cast iron is going to heat too slowly for this method. Alright? But if you're going to use carbon steel, even though he says you don't need it, you're going to want to put a little bit of oil uh, on the top of each fillet. Okay? Alright. So, with a non-stick pan, you don't have to do anything. As the pan comes up to temperature and the salmon begins to sizzle for about three minutes... Flip it over, and then cook skin side for only five minutes until it's very crisp and just cooked, depending on its thickness. The reason this works with a nonstick pan is by cooking its flesh side down first. Turning the heat on a cold pan, it's going to start rendering those wonderful fatty oils out of the salmon, and you're going to cook the salmon in its own oil, and it's very, very good. All right. Meanwhile, while that's going on, cut your cherry tomatoes in halves or quarters, depending on their size. Tear up most of the basil leaves and toss it all with one teaspoon of red wine vinegar and a pinch of sea salt and black pepper. Squash the olives and discard the pits, then finally chop the flesh. Mix with one teaspoon of extra virgin olive oil and a splash of water. Then, finally, slice the chorizo, add to the pan for the last two minutes, then toss in the dressed tomatoes for 30 seconds. Divide that between your plates with salmon on top, spoon over the dressed olives, picked, and then pick over the remaining fresh basil. So there you go how to do that. And I, I tell you that a lot of these uh, recipes in this book... There's a, there's a video somewhere of Jamie cooking them. All that I can find, I'll put links to those videos for you in the show notes today. I know I can find you this one because he's really proud of it. This I haven't made yet. I don't have to. I know this is going to be flipping awesome. Those tomatoes charred just a little bit. It's kind of like a warm salad with the crispy bits of chorizo, the crispy salmon skin. Yes, you eat the skin. Um... I can't wait to make this one. This is what I'm going to be making this week. I've got a bunch of salmon in the freezer that came to me from ButcherBox. So I just need to pick up some chorizo, and I'm ready to roll. Again, that little quick masterpiece, 3.6 carbohydrates. So you can definitely add some other things to your meal there. Next up, I've got a seared sesame tuna. Again, this is a Jamie Oliver one. And the seared sesame tuna is going to set you back only 4.2 carbs in your allotment. This, I think, would be a great lunch, especially for people that work from home and have, you know, 15 minutes they can take to cook when they take their lunch break. Uh, Otherwise, it might be a weekend thing for lunch for a lot of you guys. Though, I don't think it would taste bad. Cool. Uh, Or you could separate the tuna from the, the vegetables and warm the vegetables up and serve the tuna cool over top of them, I think, would be as good as well. But this is real tuna. This is not tuna from a can. Here's what we need to make this. One heaping tablespoon of white miso paste. That's a fermented soy paste. Two five-ounce tuna steaks. Again, this is going to serve two people. Four tablespoons of raw sesame seeds. Eight scallions. A Five, ounce of five ounces of snap peas, sugar snap peas. And what you're going to do, place a large nonstick frying pan on medium-high heat, rub the miso all over the tuna, then pat on the sesame seeds to cover it. So we're using the miso like a glue to kind of stick the sesame seeds to the tuna. Place in the hot pan with one tablespoon of olive oil and sear for one and a half minutes to each side so it's golden on the outside but blushing in the middle. And if you cook ahi tuna all the way through, you have sinned against the seafood gods. That's my opinion. I'm sure Jamie would agree. Um, Then remove to a board and let it rest. Wipe the pan with a ball of paper towel and then return it to the heat. Trim the scallions and slice them at an angle the same length as the sugar snap peas. So you're going to cut the scallions about the length of the sugar peas, okay? Um, tossing both, Toss both into the hot pan with a few drips of red wine vinegar and a pinch of sea salt for two minutes to lightly catch and char. Then slice the sesame tuna and serve on top of the vegetable, drizzled with one tablespoon of extra virgin olive oil. I think that that meal... In any restaurant, served as like a midday lunch would serve for about fifteen dollars, and even though tuna is expensive, since it's a five ounce piece of tuna, um, you can get that at most places for about four ish dollars. So you can make this meal for about six or seven bucks per person, and it's a really elevated meal, and it takes about ten minutes to make. Um, And I would say the first time you make it's probably gonna take you about twenty. Until you kind of get a rhythm for it. And then you can, that's what I want you to take from these recipes by Jamie L. You can make all kinds of variations. Those don't have to be sugar snap peas, they could be some other vegetable. Um, How about you serve just that tuna over a baby arugula and baby spinach as a salad, hit it with a little soy and ginger dressing that you make yourself. There's tons of ways you can do this. These are just ideas. But the way that's described, 4.2 carbs. Uh, Next up, Jamie calls this bangin' beef stew. I call it beef pepper stew because I think it's a lot more indicative of what it really is. But stew is one of those things that you really kind of miss when you're low-carbing, especially in an intervention phase. Um, But the net carbs on this is only 6.2 carbs. This is based on a serving of four people with the ingredients as I'm about to list them. Um, You are going to need four mixed-color peppers, one teaspoon of ground allspice, 1 and a quarter pounds of lean stewing beef, 10 fresh bay leaves, 8 cloves of garlic. Preheat the oven to 325 degrees. Place a large, shallow casserole plan on high heat. Seed the peppers and chop them into fingers and then place them in the pan with 1 tablespoon of olive oil, a pinch of sea salt, and black pepper, and the allspice. Chop the beef into bite-sized portions. Stir into the pan with bay. Crush crush in the unpeeled garlic through a garlic crusher and fry for two minutes, tossing regularly. Add two tablespoons of red wine vinegar and two cups of water to the pan. Cover and then cook in the oven for two hours or until dark and sticky. Loosen with a splash of water if needed. Mix up and taste and season and serve. And that is awesome. The bay leaf... The pepper, the allspice, the garlic, it all really, really just sings together. And again, you're out per serving, based on serving four people with that, 6.2 carbs. Now, I want to add something here at the end of Jamie's recipes. And again, the book is called Jamie Jamie Oliver's Five Ingredient Quick and Easy Food, and it's not all low-carb. But I want to add something really important for us that are low-carb. You know where it says to use one and a half pounds of beef for the pepper stew? You can use three, and you don't add any carbohydrates. You can add as much meat as you want. If he says to use four-ounce fillets, you can use six or eight-ounce fillets. You can have more food. That's the beauty of low-carb. But this is what I want to ask you. Based on the 10 meals I gave you today, do you feel like you would feel deprived eating like this? Do you feel like you'd feel like you're really missing out? Let me just read this menu and let's, you know, you're going to have three meals a day plus a snack. This is 10 items. A lot of them really are more dinner oriented. There's only one breakfast. So you're going to vary this up and have some other things. But over the next week, if this was stuff that was on your menu, cabbage wrapped sardines with hemp seed and avocado, Blackened fish with roasted fennel and vegetables. Jack's jalapeno garlic breakfast sausage and eggs with potatoes. Moroccan lamb with vegetables. Pork and shallots with apple and yimica. Salmon nook mis, harissa chicken, smoky chorizo salmon, seared sesame tuna, and beef pepper stew. Would you feel like you're on a diet? Would you feel like you're being deprived? Are you really going to miss rice and bread that much if you're eating like this? And this is what makes low carb so effective. You can literally spoil yourself. It takes a little work. Yeah, I'm telling you right now, I have gotten this wrong every time I've done it, even though it's worked. It's it's worked in spite of the fact that I have been going over on my carb counts when I thought I was doing really good. Because I wasn't tracking every single ingredient that went in. And I was assuming I can just have all the spinach I want. I can just have all the celery I want. I can just have all the peppers I want. No, you can't. But you can have plenty. You can have enough to be full. And this is why a lot of people get away with it. Because a lot of times if that's where you're getting all your carbs from, then you're going to get full before you stop. But when you start factoring in things like onions and garlic and stuff like that and the high sugar content that they have, and you're down on restrictions of 7 to 10 carbohydrates, as we've seen today, as you add those, you can go over really, really easy. So I think that if you'll give this a shot, because what I'm really after today, I'm trying to save lives. Again, let me go over the stats that I gave you at the beginning of the show and why this is a big-time survival topic. Number one cause of death in the United States is heart disease. Heart disease, I'm sorry. Number five cause of death in the U.S. is stroke. Number seven is diabetes. And number nine is kidney disease. And let me tell you something. The diabetes and just obesity in general are a big part of the kidney disease, the stroke, and the heart disease. So it just just compounds on itself. And one of the things in that um, series by Jamie Oliver where he came here and tried to get people eating better, and he really focused on the school system that really struck me and struck this DJ there was a DJ when he went to West Virginia and he chose this town in West Virginia I don't remember what it was now but it was it was the fattest town in America and that's part of why the people there didn't like him because he he pointed that out well he didn't make that he didn't decide that he just looked at the statistics in America and it said this town in West Virginia was the fattest town in America so he went there for his first season well this DJ really was hating on him and he got in touch with him and said hey can we can we try to work this out can we try to understand each other And the guy was good enough to agree, and he took him to a funeral home. And his DJ was like, you could tell he was like, yeah, whatever, you're going to tell me people die from eating too much. Yeah, I know that and all. He had no idea what he was in store for. So Jamie showed him an oversized casket. Caskets they're having to build now to bury people in because they're so obese when they die. And when the guy looked at this casket, you could tell it changed his worldview a little bit, and he had a better understanding. Unfortunately, things like school boards and the racket that his school lunches were, were unwilling to ever listen to what he was really trying to do. It was it was pretty unbelievable. But that's the truth. We have a, a society today where people are literally eating themselves to death. And I also tell you that the number two cause of death in America is cancer. And... Obesity can play a factor in that as well. And to the point of even if it's not the cause, how about how you handle the treatment? Who do you think is going to be more likely to be able to handle you know significant hardcore cancer treatment that it's the only chance you've got to survive? A five foot 11 inch dude that's 195, 200 pounds in really great shape, or a five foot 11 inch dude that's 290 pounds. Which one's more likely to be able to handle and recover from the treatment for the cancer? So I think it probably, if you look at the top 12 causes of death in the United States, everything outside of accidents and, and you know and being shot or something, um, man, you can make a case that this can make a difference. So I really encourage you, if you've ever thought about this, to give it a try. And if you've ever tried it and it didn't work, try it a new way. Try it really methodically paying attention to everything. Build that cheat sheet, do up your own recipes, don't make assumptions, really stick to the carbohydrate restrictions, give it 30 days. Because I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Most of you, not all of you, most of you in the first two weeks, you're going to feel like shit. Because your body's going to start adapting to this new way of eating. It's going to have a hard time dealing with it. You're going to start burning fat right away. It's very common in the first two weeks to lose 5 to 10 pounds. That's a lot fast. You need to understand what five pounds is. Go get a five pound tub of butter. Don't that's usually mar I don't never seen a five pound pound tub of butter. But a five pound tub of margarine. Okay? Uh, so don't buy it, but go look at one the next time you're in a grocery store. Hold that up and look at it. That's what five pounds of fat looks like. If you lose ten pounds, you lost two of those. It really to drive it home, if you lose if you are thirty pounds overweight, that's six of those tubs of butter all over your body. And when you understand that, you'll understand why you feel like shit. Your your fat stores all the toxins in your body. That's why, like feedlot beef, people say trim the fat. You bet your ass trim the fat. All the toxins are in that fat. So you're going to be dumping toxins, and you're going to be adapting to a new diet. But 30 days in, you're going to have adapted to it. That's a really good time to start upping your physical activity. A walk or whatever is fine, but real actual exercise, wait about 30 days into this new diet. And at that point, you'll probably have lost somewhere between 10 and 15 pounds, assuming that you're overweight enough to need to. And you're going to be, no one's going to be able to change your mind at that point. You're going to understand what this is really all about. Give it a chance with the complete elimination of alcohol or one drink a week during the intervention phase if you're significantly overweight. And I'd say if you have more than 20 pounds to lose, you are significantly overweight. Some of you, you know, if you're really a small frame person, you know, 15 pounds, you might be significantly overweight on your full percentage. But a lot of us, you know, we can lose 30 pounds. If you have 30 pounds to lose, you are significantly overweight, and you have to take radical measures if you want to get there in any reasonable amount of time. But the radical doesn't have to be a big sacrifice. Like I said, it just you know, think about it. If you're going to be eating, you know, blackened fish with roasted fennel. And jalapeno garlic sausage and eggs with a little bit of potato, we bind it all together, Moroccan lamb and pork with shallots and apples, kind of, sort of anyway, um, harissa chicken and smoky chorizo salmon and beef pepper stew, you're not suffering. And, there, and, and the thing is, you need anything you want. you just got to count the carbohydrates. And if you'll do that and get on a good nutrition plan as well and a good supplement plan as well, you're going to go a long way um and i'll kind of throw a little shout out i mentioned uh dr stevens and uh, i've had him on a couple times probably need to get him on again uh with green wellness health also used to be called doctors nutritional a lot of you people are working with him everybody i've heard from that works with this guy loves him there are people guys that have listened to me for years and their wives never wanted nothing to do with me and when he came on they got their wives to listen to his podcast and then they got – the wives needed some help with their health and their weight management and their lab numbers and all that and got with Dr. Stevens. And now they love me because of him. So I need to get him back on. And if you combine this style of eating with his program, I think it can really blow you away. So I just wanted to – kind of we haven't talked about this in a long time today. And I really as I've – again, I, I want to clear something up too and just be completely honest – Anytime you've seen me get in really good shape, this is why. And every time you've seen me put weight back on, it's not because this doesn't work. It's because I've been a, a sorry half ass and haven't stuck to it. And let myself go back to old habits. And, and I, you know, I want to be completely and totally honest with you about that today. But uh I'm gonna try to work on at least building a spreadsheet where you can plug numbers into on your own and get your recipes, you know, basically. I'm not going to try to tab link everything and stuff like that. That will take me a lot of my ninja skills that can go to other things right now, my Excel ninja skills. But I'm going to build a basic tabulation single sheet spreadsheet, and then you'll have to make your own list. But you'll be able to just plug in a recipe, plug in all your carbohydrates, plug in. your carbohydrates. And get all your totals. I might even do calories and fat and everything if you want to do that. Uh, so you can get that. And then once you have that, you can just copy and paste that into a Word document. And it will bring the spreadsheet along with it if you do it right. And if you change things, it will automatically change. You can build your own recipe book. How cool is that? So I'll do that for you. And hopefully some of you all will take, uh, take take the advice and, and give this a shot. I, I'm telling you right now, I've met people that I know this type of eating has saved their lives from this audience. And if you're talking survival, saving lives is right at the core of it. With that, we've wrapped up another edition of the Survival Podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, one of the ways you can support us is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. And you might imagine the product of the day for you today is a low-carb product. It's called Flackers Flax Crackers. I love these things. They are one uh, one gram of carb net for eight crackers so these with a little bit of lebna a little bit of cracked pecans on them what a great snack you keep your carbs down just again put everything in a spreadsheet figure it out oh i want to give you one thing today i'm still working on this getting a number for this has been really really hard but lebna or yogurt cheese which i've talked about making a lot of times assuming it's plain so you have to figure out anything else you put in it how much is there is i'm guessing is about two grams of carbohydrate per ounce So an ounce or two is enough to to cover eight crackers and put some other stuff on them and still keep that number down for your snack. But I love these things. They come in a bunch of different flavors. They're made by a company called Doctor in the Kitchen. A few of you guys reached out to me and told me you're making your own flax crackers in your own house, baking them yourself. If you want to do that, go ahead. These things are affordable enough. I think they're worth buying. I have a full write-up on the uh, website today with all the nutrition information on them. But these things are awesome. Um, you're talking 8 grams of carb, but 7 of it is is five or so net of 1. Uh, fit 5 grams of protein, 8 grams of fat, but 0 saturated or trans fat, and about 5 grams is omega-3s, and the most of the rest of it is ALA, which a lot of people are taking as a supplement. There's about 110 calories, but unless you're stupid, you don't even worry about calories in uh, a low-carb diet. What do I mean by if you're stupid? Well, if you think you can go eat five pounds of beef a day for dinner and then four pounds for lunch and then 17 eggs for, for breakfast, even on low carb, you can break the system. You can over But if you eat normal meals and you keep your, your carbohydrates in check, you're going to do really, really well. With that, we've wrapped up another episode. Let's talk about our song of the day today. Is as, as good a mood as I am in right now, I kind of wish the song was a little bit happier of the song. And I kind of wish, since we're doing songs from 30 years ago, which was 1989. 1989 was 30 damn years ago. You feeling old yet? I sure as hell am. Um, But this is by Richard Marks. Now, 1989 was kind of my year as a young man. I started my senior year in high school in 89 and graduated in 1990. That's when you have a girlfriend and a car and you got good friends and you're at the top of the school and you're playing and hanging out and looking forward to the rest of your life. It's kind of, I think, one of the you know, best days of your life. You know the song Summer of 69? I guess mine was the Summer of 89. Um, and so the music from this time is really right in my wheelhouse. Richard Marks, not as much. Richard Marx was like chick music, mostly, right? Right here waiting for you and some other stuff like that. He had that kind of high falsetto voice, but very talented. Just, you know, I was into things like Motley Crue and Poison and Rat and Metallica and Iron Maiden and Journey and stuff like that, right? So, uh, but, you know, was aware and, you know, it was the heyday of MTV when MTV actually played music on music television before it was all freaking reality shows and whatever it is now. So this was a song that was on a lot back then. And I never really understood what this song was about. I didn't really pay attention, but I knew it was bad. Um, This is about child trafficking. And the Children of the Night Foundation was somebody that Richard Marks found out about, and he wrote this song to help support them. And child sex trafficking is a huge problem, and I wish I could say in the last 30 years we've made progress on it, And I think it's probably worse than it ever was. No, I'm not going to talk about the Epstein, Weinstein, whatever the hell his name is thing right now and the conspiracies behind it. I don't know if I'll ever talk about that. I don't know if it affects our individual lives that much. Uh, Maybe maybe Monday I'll tell you what I think when we have more information instead of talking out of my ass. Um, But I'll tell you, my main input on this is, I guess you'd call him my nephew-in-law, so he's married to my niece, and he is a police officer, sheriff's deputy in Colorado. And for the last several years, he's been detached from his department to uh, U.S. Marshals. And he is working trafficking, sex trafficking, specifically child sex trafficking. And the stories I've heard are not good. And this is a problem we really need something done about. Now, tell you about some of the people I hung out with in this time frame who weren't exactly that bright. I mentioned Mike. It was another guy named Dave. And Dave drove a little Dodge Omni He was a good friend of mine, but he was a little bit not all there. And he kept saying all the time that he thought this should be our graduation song when we were walking across the field after we graduated from high school. I'm like, Dave, I don't think that's what this song's about. And he said, we've already done our time in hell. Um, And he felt like going through high school, it's like going through hell. Uh, No, this song's about a real hell that a lot of young people are going through, and I think, in some ways, like law enforcement can 't fix this problem alone. We need a lot of activism on this one. Um, activism has become a bad word because of what it means in so many instances being a bad thing but th- what I mean by activism is proactive activism people actually doing things because this is what my my nephew in law told me he said their biggest problem is even when they catch people, even when they rescue these young people, a lot of times they 're young adults, but they 've been in a you know in this Misery since they were young teens and now they're in their early 20s. They won't testify against the people. They're so damaged that they actually believe these people. Uh, it's done through a combination of, of abuse, uh, imprisonment, kidnapping, etc., and drug abuse. And they become conditioned. And even when they start to come out of the conditioning, they're so afraid that someone will come get them again that they're afraid to say anything. And they've gotten people dead to rights, but they can't get the people they victimized to to say anything. And it's really sad. And, 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 again, I wish that things were better, but... Yeah, even though it's not my exact type of music from 1989, it does take me back to that year, summer of 89, Richard Marks and Children of the Night.